Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Questions, answers, and my voice for the next 30 minutes. Today, I'm going to address some questions that I've been sent and also a couple of frequently asked questions and try and maybe set your mind at ease about some things, help you in some things and provoke further thoughts in other things. Let's see how it goes. Awesome coffee, the best acai in town, cool vibes and people with big smiles. If that sounds like a bit of you, then you need to get yourself over to Smith Street Cafe in Studio City. Cafe's open Monday to Friday, 5.30 a.m. to 1 p.m., Saturday and Sunday, 7.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. We'll catch you there. This is episode number 774 of the Inner Fight Podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another show. Yes, it's only me. It's my voice. I actually got a compliment recently by my friend Brian Keane, who I had on the show. He said some of his favorite episodes of the show have been me talking to myself for half an hour, 40 minutes. If anyone has done a podcast, does a podcast, or just sort of talks to himself and tries to be a little bit serious in the fact that maybe more than a handful of people will listen, it's actually not super simple to do a solo show. So in that regard, it helps me to sharpen another set of tools. I've got some questions that some people have sent in, and I've also got some questions that I've heard people asking recently, and I've taken them, and I'm going to try and debunk them, and I'm going to try, 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 and help people get some clarity around some confusions, I think, because a lot of, there's a lot of different opinions out there, and obviously this show is just my opinion based on my experiences, my research, my experiences and my research, I guess, and a few other different bits and pieces. And what we have in the world generally, and also in the world of fitness these days, is an incredible amount of access to an incredible amount of resources. Any question that I'm going to answer today, you could probably put into Google and you wouldn't even, you probably wouldn't be You'd be too lazy to go to the second page. Am I allowed to say that two minutes into the show? Let's see. You probably wouldn't go past the first search page of Google and you'd have had your question answered maybe in the way that you want it answering. And that's one of the interesting things because I see a lot of people say to me, should I eat this? Is it healthy? And I'll turn around to them and I'll just ask them, well, what do you think? And if it is super healthy, they'll say, yeah, it is super healthy. And if it's not, they know. You're not stupid hopefully. I'm hopefully not stupid as well. And we can do our own research and apply a little bit of logic. But sometimes when we're applying that logic, or sometimes when we're in the heat of the moment, and we're making a potentially decision bad about what we're going to eat or what we're going to, not what training we're not going to do, we, some of our logic and some of our smartness goes a little bit out the window. There's a lot of information out there. And I think that's one of the problems that we have. We almost have an information overload. How many podcasts can you listen to a week? How many articles can you listen to a week? How many people's opinions can you listen to a week? And when you've got through all of that, how much time do you have left to actually take action? For some people, they've spent the last five years, 10 years, taking in a load of podcasts, a load of audiobooks, a load of articles and asking a load of opinions and have forgotten to do what's important and what creates the change, which is take action. That's a preface to 
what we're going to talk about today. These are my opinions. These are my answers. And the first question kind of ties in with that. The question is simply, why can't I stick to anything? And it really does segue quite simply from what I was saying. We are somehow in an era of information overload and insane distraction. Book, Johan Hari, one of his books, Lost Connections, probably, talks about, he's got three or four that I've read recently, talks about the fact that we're just distracted the whole time. And I think the number one reason why you can't stick to anything, second to second reason, which are probably one and two very close together, if not both one, is that you're constantly distracted, you're constantly looking at stuff, and your mind is in a total state of confusion most of the time which is linked into the second number one important reason why you can't stick to anything because you're not really sure actually what you want. And to figure out what you want, I think it's super important to dial back to who you are, why you're here, and what you're really, what your objective, what your vision for yourself in life is. And people might think that that's actually quite deep and that's got no relation to the fact that you can't stick to the gym. Well, actually it does. It has every single relation to it and it's the basis of your performance and your ability to stick to anything in any area of life, knowing what you want. Because if you knew what you want and you understand why you wanted it and what your vision for life is and what you're trying to achieve, then the distractions that are coming around and are increasing tenfold literally by the day would not bother you so much. Are you confused yet? Would it be easier if I just got a guest on and we just talked? Anyway, we'll keep moving. We then come to the concept of motivation versus discipline, which has actually been talked about a lot. I'm not going to go into it too much, but this is another reason why you can't stick to anything. You can have motivation. You can go to social media, you can go to a friend, you can get super inspired by lots of people's different stories. We have some great people on the podcast who provide us so much motivation. They get us really fired up, but when the alarm clock goes off at five o'clock in the morning, we have no discipline to get up. Therefore, always and there's a lot of debate around it. Not a lot, but too much. Discipline is always number one. So the second reason that you probably can't stick to anything is due to a lack of discipline. And you have a lack of discipline due to the fact that that goal that you're trying to stick to doesn't really mean anything to you. So how do you get around this? It takes a little bit of soul searching, which for some people might take time and might be a little bit heavy. But if we're talking and drilling it back down to health and fitness and actually getting some work done, I think the number one thing is just to find something that you find interesting and fun. We found that things that are fun for people, things that make people smile, there is a very good chance that people will stick to it for longer and during that time be able to answer those questions of who you are, why you're here and what you're really looking for. Because those questions actually might take a little bit longer to answer and you don't want to waste that time where you could be going out and doing something. So if you find going and playing tennis fun, then go and do it. If you find after a while that it's not becoming fun, ask yourself why it's not fun anymore. And if you find going to the gym super fun, ask yourselves what components of going to the gym you find fun. Is it fun to see the people there? Are the exercises fun? Are the way the workouts structured fun of the songs? Do they make you smile? Do the coaches make you smile, cry? I don't know. What's fun? 
that would be something that I'd really tap into as well. And then when you stop finding it fun, instead of going, oh, it's not fun anymore, it's shit, it used to be really good, but it's shit. It's easy to do that. And a lot of people turn around and say, yeah, it's crap, it's changed. What has changed or have you changed? Dig into that and dig into your motivation versus discipline. Are you disciplined enough? Do you want it enough? And if you don't want it enough, why don't you want it enough? And if you find out that you don't want it enough, it's probably related to the fact that you don't know who you are, why you're here, or what you're looking for. Shall I move to the second question? Okay. Some days I'm really sore. Help. (laughs) That's an interesting one. I'm going to presume that you're sore from the workout that you've done. I think the best place to start with this one is how prepared you actually are for your workout. And by this, I mean, what have you been doing to your body in the days before your workout? Not workout-wise, but mainly nutrition and sleep-wise. If you go into a workout undernourished or haven't had bad nutrition for the two or three days before, and you also are sleep-deprived, then there's very good chance that any form of intensity in your workout or any form of workout is going to hurt the next day and the next day and probably the next day. And some people could be sore for, for three or four days, depending on the type of workout you do. So a lot of people will say, in order to address your soreness and your recovery from a workout, you need to dig into your recovery. I'm actually starting it a little bit earlier where we're trying to think about how you're prepared for your workout. And if I take quite a bad example here of people not eating, drinking, and sleeping optimally during the weekend, then they come into a heavy workout on a Monday morning. Monday morning workouts here at NFI are always quite heavy Monday afternoon as well because it's the same class throughout the day. We do it on purpose. Then your chances of being sore on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and maybe not feeling super excited, which goes into the first question we spoke about there, for the rest of the week are actually boosted. So if you eat like shit and don't sleep well on the weekend, you're not preparing your body in the right way. And therefore, any intensity or any sort of physical workout that we do at any type of intensity will probably have some more exacerbated effects on your recovery and how sore you feel in this case a couple of days after. So prepare yourself in the right way is number one. Number two is the intensity of the workout that you're doing. If you work out, if you have a super high volume of, let's say, bench press or of back squats, then you're probably going to be, and this sounds really basic, but a lot of people are not taking it into consideration. If you do 100 wall balls, back squats, bench press on one day at a very decent weight, then there's a very good chance that you're going to be sore the next day because you've asked those muscles to work insanely hard. Not only you could load them over a long period of time, if you loaded them in a short period of time, we'd expect your soreness to be increased as well. So you have to look at the intensity of the workout. And sometimes a workout is supposed to be super intense. And therefore, while soreness is not an objective that we're looking for, one of the outcomes of a super intense workout is that you might feel it the next day. If you come into it prepared better, you should feel it less. And if you recover from it better, you also increase your chances of being able to go again. The recovery protocols are very similar to your prehab protocols. As far as after the workout, we want to make sure that we're not having inflammatory foods, sugars, 
dairy, we would want to try and limit all of that. So really pay some attention to your food. Eat paleo, of course. Make sure that your sleep is good. And then especially, we've just come through summer. It's getting a little bit cooler, but it's still, we live in a very, very hot climate. You can stop your soreness by addressing your hydration. I've used this example for the last 10 years that we've been doing the show. And I think, or this calculation, and I still believe it's probably one of the better calculators. If we take your body weight, you divide it by 30, that's the minimum, minimum number of liters of water we should be drinking a day without taking into consideration that you do any physical exercise. So if you weigh 90 kilos, you need to drink at least three liters of water, regardless of what you're doing physical exercise. And if you're doing physical exercise, then that also needs to increase. We can look at all different things and get a little bit geeky about sweat rates by calculating how much you actually sweat during the workout. And a simple guide to doing that is to weigh yourself before the workout, take into consideration, immediately before the workout, take into consideration how much water you drink during the workout and weigh yourself afterwards. And then you're going to figure out how much you've basically sweated your sweat rate. So if you have lost two kilos from the start of the workout to the end of the workout, but you've drunk 500 mils of water, we presume that that's going to weigh about half a kilo. So you've sweated out one and a half kilos, 1.5 liters of water. So that's in addition to your body weight divided by 30. Is that complicated enough for anyone? If it is, give me a shout. Hydration is one of the key ways that you're going to help to alleviate soreness because of its involvement in recovery and transporting the good stuff around your body. Let's move on. Should we go to calories yet? No. Yes. No. I'll save it for later because I might take a little bit of time on that one. What is the importance of strength training? This is a really good question and something that I think needs addressing a little bit more in that... I think in the last five to 10 years, definitely in the last five years, we've seen an increased number of fitness solutions, which are more cardiovascular based. You go in circuit training style workouts, there's loads of different options of these all over Dubai, all over the world, really. And you basically have your heart rate elevated and you're working out for 45 minutes and you feel, you actually feel really good. And they go hand in hand with a lot of the wearables that we've got at the moment because they'll tell you or they'll be marketed and it'll feed into the wearables that you've got, whether it's Garmin, Apple Watch, don't buy one, Fitbit or something like that, then it will tell you and it's focused around how many calories you've burnt to the extent that some studios have calories up on the screen. And all we're trying to do, the main focus is burning calories. And what I'm seeing here a lot is that people are going from, let's take, a, for example, a male who's 110 kilos, looks like a bit of a blob at the moment, five foot 10. They shrink down, they don't lose any height, they still remain at five foot 10, but they go to 90 kilos and they're equally as much of a blob, just a smaller blob. Not sure if that's very PC, but this is my show. I'll do what I want. You know exactly what I'm talking about. They don't have much shape. They still have a little bit of flab. This is because all they're doing is chasing calories. Calories is a question I'm coming on to later. And they're just doing cardiovascular training, basically. So they're missing out one of the biggest elements, which is strength training. From strength training to cardio 
we're getting a very different stress response on the body. When we create a different stress response, the body secretes different amounts of different hormones. This is super, super important. And this is, and to, to always have the perfect solution, and this is actually why CrossFit has been so successful for such a long time. And we were having a chat about this the other day. CrossFit has been around since late 90s, early 2000s, and has seemed to have weathered the storm of a lot of fitness solutions, interventions that have come, gone. Some of them have come back. Some of them are still around. Some of them are not as popular as before. And some of them have just literally died on their ass. But CrossFit is still there. And it still actually provides results. It's not that it's CrossFit, but what CrossFit did super well is they took strength training and conditioning training. And good gyms have done this. Not all CrossFit gyms do this. A lot of CrossFit gyms are actually super childish and they just do crazy conditioning workouts the whole time, especially people that are quite new to fitness and don't really have a background in fitness. But all CrossFit programs that I would say are good CrossFit programs all have a super strong strength element to it. Strength training is super, super important because of what I was saying there, that stress response and the different stress response we're getting. It also helps us massively to build muscle, which is quite important if we don't want to just be the blob example. It's quite difficult to increase our muscle mass without a decent strength pr training program. We also, for those of you that are a little bit worried about, oh, then I won't burn enough calories. Actually, you will because strength training helps to boost your metabolism, mainly in two ways. Firstly, it increases your metabolic rate, which is super important because muscles are, let's just say muscles are more metabolically efficient than fat. So if you have more muscle, then your metabolic rate is going to go up. If your ratio of muscle to fat is off where you have more fat than where you have muscle, then your metabolic rate is naturally going to be down. So it doesn't really matter at this stage how much calories you're ingesting. It matters about this proportion of fat to muscle. Secondly, strength training actually keeps your metabolic rate raised for, you could argue, there's different studies, 24 hours, 48 hours, some even up to 72 hours after you have completed the strength training, which is quite interesting, which is not proven in just what we call low skill, high intensity, heart rate up the whole time for 45 minute class training. So strength training, and this could go on for an insanely long amount of time. I like that a lot of people have come to fitness through more cardio based, shall we say, fitness interventions, but there is still a massive need for strength training. There's a massive benefit of strength training. And also for people's longevity, you, you do feel good, yes, after a 45-minute smash vest, as we'd know, but your body doesn't want to be handling that kind of stress level every single day. So that goes back as well to the different stress response that we're creating when we're doing strength training. So what's the importance of strength training? High or very, however you want to look at it. Please, if you enjoy, and to, to translate that into a little bit 
about what we do here at the gym. That's why I see it quite interesting. People using, for example, Mondays, a hard class. Normally there is a strength piece in there, but a strong conditioning piece. Some people might choose to go to boot camp on a Monday, but then they'd come and do more strength-based stuff on a Tuesday, boot camp on a Wednesday, or the conditioning in the class is still hard on a Wednesday. Thursday, there's a lot of strength training option available in the class. And then on the weekends, we don't have a strength piece because we do just want to feed people what makes them feel super good on the weekend, which is a long metabolic conditioning workout. So that's kind of a little bit of insight of how we do things here. But that's also why, yes, sometimes strength training might seem a little bit pedestrian, a little bit boring because we have to give the muscles time to relax and recover between sets. However, it's a super important component and you you are still going to burn your calories. The problem is with your wearables, they're often telling you how many calories you're burning based on how hard your heart is working and for how long. In a 20-minute conditioning piece, your heart rate might be a bit about 75, 80% of your max for, let's say, 80%, so 18, 20, 18 of those 20 minutes. Whereas in a strength piece, if it's a 20-minute strength piece, your heart rate would not get up to 80%, and it would definitely not be there for about 80%. So therefore, you're getting a different calculation, which you're not getting the truth around, well, you're getting the truth around how many calories you're burning, but that's actually not super important in that moment. Hopefully you're confused. I shall move on. In the gym, I'm good. Outside, my life is a mess. What are some of the simple wins? This is a good one. And I like the honesty on it as well. You come to the gym, you have no problem getting to the gym. You actually quite like it here. But once you leave, my, my image here, and I don't have any more information than what I've just been asked there, but my image here is that you literally, you almost leave the gym and you go through the drive-through of some shit coffee company. You buy a rubbish muffin that tastes like shit, but you eat it anyway. You have that latte upsize with the caramel and it's all a disaster. So what can you do? Well, there, is, there are a few simple wins. Some of the simple wins are trying to if it's related to food, trying to remove some of those habits. So let's take that. It's probably going to be a Starbucks. So if the Starbucks is on your way home from the gym or on your way to work, is there a different way? Can we try and break the habit here? And all that we're trying to do is create some little tiny habits. Wasn't there a book about that? What's his name? DJ Fogg, I think, wrote the book, Tiny Habits. Something like that. Anyway, there's lots of books. Atomic Habits as well. James Clear, that's also a good book to have a, have a look through. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to break some of these little habits. So you'll, if you take a look back on your life, you'll see that you probably don't do, you do some things ad hoc and spontaneously, but you probably can put together a pattern that we'd call almost a habit of your action. So you always go that route in the car and you always pass that Burger King and you always get tempted and nine out of 10 times you go in. So can we drive a different route? You might say, no, I can't because it'll add 10 minutes onto my journey, five minutes onto my journey. If it's less than 10 minutes onto your journey, then I think it's probably worth doing because you're stopping yourself from developing probably quite a bigger problem. Have a look at your home as well. What's actually coming into your home? These are some of the really simple wins and clear out all of the bad food that you have within your home. Also, when you're in the office, try and, which is harder, but just go to HR and tell them to stop buying 
birthday cakes for people because it's killing people. It's a true story. It's absolutely terrible. Have a look at what's around in your environment when it comes to food and try and break some of those habits stroke routines. The same thing goes, if you're struggling to get into bed, if you're struggling to get up on time, or if you've got a problem with your sleep, have a look at what you're doing two or three hours before you go to bed. What are you doing around tech hygiene? What are you doing around your, your meal times? Do you start to work when you get home or after dinner? These are all real simple wins that I think we can put in place to make your life less messy outside of the gym. Hopefully that helps. If not, let me know. And if, you, if, if there was a lot there, then let me know as well. I'll try and help you. Where do we go now? <laughs> this one's quite good. It was directed at Tom. Does Tom prefer the Reebok Nanos or the Nike Metcon? Which generally, I know it's a joke, Ben Graham. I think gen generally Tom prefers the Nike Metcon. No idea. But my point, why have I put this question in? Because... It's a question I actually hear a lot. I'm not going to answer if Tom prefers that or that. That's not my point. I think it's Nike, but that's not my point. It's an interesting question because I hear a lot of people ask me, running-wise, which shoes? Gym-wise, which shoes? It is a little bit activity-specific. I've seen people bring into the gym super nice running shoes, start to do a rope climb, and they get torn to pieces. I will say, having worked in the sports goods industry for a number of years, I did five years at Adidas, I also worked at Nike for a little while, most of it is just around marketing. We used to make shoes that were no different from the one next to it, but to try and make you buy two pairs. It's actually quite horrible. We're trying to force people or lure people into thinking that they need two pairs of shoes where actually they don't really. However, if you are running and you are doing CrossFit, then you probably need, or you are playing, go back to what I mentioned before, tennis. I was playing paddle a few weeks ago and I was playing in a pair of running shoes and I've ripped the front off the pair of running shoes. They're pretty much a brand new pair of running shoes. I don't, this is a weird one because maybe it's contradictory to what I'm saying, but right now that shoe works pretty well for playing paddle. I don't really want to invest another $100 in another pair of shoes, but if I continue to play paddle, then that would probably be the smart thing to do, to go with my own advice and get something activity specific. The second thing on shoes, I'm not sure why I'm giving advice on shoes. Anyway, it's what I find helps, is if, how can I say this? If the hat fits, wear it. If a pair of shoes feels comfortable to you and it propels you forward and you don't have any injuries, then wear it. There's a lot of talk, especially in running, about supination pronation. It's not always about the shoe that you're wearing. It's often about your own biomechanics, which you probably could, should, but won't address as a point of urgency, but you'll go through like 50 different pairs of shoes. And you can see this by just getting your run coach or someone that you run with to take a video of you slowing it down and having a look what's going on. Normally by looking at the bottom of someone's shoes, we can tell how they walk. This is all pretty basic stuff. But what I will say is for running and also for, for working out, like I never got on with the Nike Metcon. I remember buying two or three pairs. There were on roguefitness.com or something like that. And they were, they're were on cheap. And I was like, I'll get these. They'll be awesome. They were horrendous. I coached them a little bit and then I gave them away because they're absolutely terrible. So I think activity specific, if you can afford a couple of pairs of shoes, then get a couple of pairs of shoes. Definitely for running, you definitely should be changing your trainers. Ah, oh, difficult to say, but frequently every three to 500K, most people I know don't wear trainers 
out, they that dopamine kicks in for new colors and all those kind of addictions before the trainer's even halfway through. But I, yeah, that's my thoughts on trainers. Another question come in here. Most important factor for keeping size and strength as an endurance athlete. This is something that I spoken a bit about in the past and I'll definitely come up to in the future as well because it keeps on coming round. And I think there's one thing that needs to be said from the outset here is the definition of size versus strength and what the benefits are of each in an endurance sport or in any area of life. When I remember, bleh, I remember when I was younger and I was always told as a rugby player that I need to have, I need to be bigger. And this I've actually heard recently as well. So we had a kid coming to the gym and he was told that he needs to come back at the end of summer and he needs to be a hundred kilos. Kid goes away, gets fat over summer. Not fat, fat, but put on weight that was fat. And I'm like, how is that helping this person play rugby better? Because he's fatter. He'll be slow around the field. He'll tire quicker. He's more unhealthy because he's carrying more fat. All of what we're talking about before as well when it comes to that Mr. Blobby guy. So what is size versus strength? For your particular sport, is it better to be stronger or have more critical mass, more muscle mass or more fat mass? In some sports, we see it. It's beneficial for some of these wrestlers because that's their style. It's not really my area, but I'll comment on it quickly they choose to be very big sumo you get it you get the picture of where i'm coming from but that's really important i think for endurance athletes there is no one size fits all we see some endurance athletes that can get away with being incredibly incredibly lean we see it as well mainly in cyclists we're seeing super super lean cyclists and they are there is a generic height and sort of weight if you want to be a climber in cycling or for, for a triathlete. We see it a little bit as well. Like you look at someone like Killian Jornet, very short, very light, probably about 60 kilos, I would say, whereas Tom Evans is a little bit taller, but again, incredibly lean. And what these guys have, what the top endurance guys seem to be more stacked with at the moment is just being lean to a point, but making sure the muscle mass that they have is super, super strong. The factors that are going to influence this obviously are very straightforward. The food that you eat, how you recover, all endurance athletes, everyone should be on some sort of strength program. It doesn't mean lifting massive weights and it doesn't mean creating soreness that we're speaking about earlier for days on end. We've seen that traditionally when we started training a lot of endurance athletes, they'd never done strength training. They came and did a, did a little bit and then they couldn't go out and run at the same speeds. There's a little bit of, which I'm going to go to in a second, a little bit of adaptation that we have to go through. And during that adaptation time for endurance athletes, we may see a little bit of a drop of performance in, if they are runners, in their running, if they're cyclists, in their cycling, due to implementing strength programming, which hasn't been there for a long time before. So that's something to be a little bit careful about. But I, I think as well, you need to align your goals with how you feel. For example, myself, when I got super light, probably about 86, 85 kilos. I didn't feel very strong in my running or my cycling. And I also, which sounds quite vain, but I felt like I, I felt like a skinny guy and I didn't like the look of what I saw in the mirror, which didn't motivate me very much. And again, that sounds maybe a little bit vain, but 
if we're doing this, why are we doing this? Are we doing this because we like it, because it's fun, because it makes us better humans, better at life? Then I think there's a little bit of a balance there that in the mirror, you actually want to look and feel healthy and good rather than feel not very healthy and not very good when you look at yourself. So just a little bit of alignment on your goals there and definitely defining what you mean by strength and size. Moving on, if fitness is about adaptation, how do I know if I'm adapted? This is a really good question and I'll split it into two areas. There's mental adaptation and physical adaptation. And what I mean by that is you may struggle mentally to get up for, for, for workouts and that adaptation might start to change before your physical adaptation starts to change. So you might feel a lot more comfortable with it. You might feel a lot more discipline, discipline, motivated, what we were talking about earlier around waking up in the morning because of what you've also done before. What we're talking about, my life is a mess outside of the gym. You've made some small wholesale changes to your routine and what's going on. And mentally, you're in a really good place. You wake up positive, you go to bed, you're ready to sleep, and you're excited to go and work out. I think it's important to create awareness around mental adaptation and also physical adaptation. And how I generally recommend people do that is literally by making notes, by writing down how you feel. How excited am I about tomorrow's workout? How was today's workout? No matter what it, what, what it is, create some simple scoring systems. I've used all sorts of different stuff with clients in the past. Red, amber, green, one, two, three. You can go crazy. You can go for a scale of one to 10 and then you give yourself a score of 4.5 and you don't really know what that means. So I wouldn't make it that complicated. I like to keep it quite simple on, on those sort of three, which is weird because sometimes when we're programming running RPE, we go to back to 10. So what's the six out of 10 versus seven out of 10? Anyway, that's a whole other topic. So creating some awareness about how adapted you feel, how, motiva how motivated you feel. The second way is setting some benchmarks and also knowing how you feel when you carry out those benchmarks. So how long does it take you to do, let's stay in the gym. How long does it take you to do 50 wall balls with a 20 pound wall ball? Good wall balls, not like some people do wall balls that are absolutely terrible, not wall balls at all. How long does it take you to do that? And how do you feel doing it? 50 wall balls could take you two minutes you feel like you're going to die. You literally, your heart's blowing out of your chest. And this is where a heart rate monitor or just checking your pulse going a little bit old school. For those of you who don't know how to check your pulse, you take your two fingers, put it into your neck. You can feel your heart beating, count for a minute or count for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, use a multiplier to get to a minute. You get exactly what your watch tells you. Is your heart popping out of your neck when you do your 50 wobbles in two minutes? Yes. Cool. Go away, train for six weeks, come back, do that test again. You finished it in 155, heart rate still exploding. Have we adapted to that wall ball? Well, we've got a five second benefit or a five second gain on it. Or I still take two minutes, but my heart rate is 15 seconds back. Have I had some physical adaptation to wall balls? Yes, you have. So set the benchmarks, test, retest create awareness around it, realize that sometimes it's not always about the time, but how you feel in that time as well. If it still takes you two minutes, still takes you two minutes, but if you're 15 beats down on your pulse, then you've definitely had some adaptation. A lot of adaptation, be it mental or physical, 
is a, a lot about that awareness and about that honesty of how we felt and also implementing a rate of perceived effort system that works super well for you. And with your increased level of honesty, our brand value, you know how you know what a three out of 10 or a, or a two out of three feels like on a certain day and you know how you're challenging yourself. It needs a lot of awareness. It needs no ego and it needs a lot of honesty. Some things people haven't, some of these things people have in abundance, some of them they're lacking massively. And the last question I have here, I think it's the last question. Yes. I'm super confused about calories. Welcome to pretty much everyone in the world. It is confusing, right? People say I need to eat this many calories. People say I need to burn this many calories. People say that's got too much calories. Other people say that doesn't have enough calories in it. The number one thing I always come back to when we're talking about calories is what actually is a calorie. And probably the people that go on the most about calories don't even really know what it is. Interesting, right? A calorie is simply a unit of energy. How many calories you burn is how much energy you need to, or a unit of heat even I've seen it defined as, or it has been defined as, or what it took, how much energy it took to heat one something of water. Anyway, so how much energy have you expended during your fitness class? And how much energy, calories, do you need to ingest to maintain life? This gives us our BMR, basal metabolic rate. If you are to sustain life, you need, if you're a male, somewhere around 2,000 to 2,500 calories a day, depending on how big you are. And sometimes if you're super big, you're going to need more calories to sustain life based on the fact that you have more body weight to sustain life in. It doesn't mean that you should stay at that body weight. Actually, you should try and bring it down. I'll talk about that in a second. Or if you're a female, somewhere around 1,500 to 2,000 calories per day is what you need to sustain life. If you do not eat that many calories, you will start to fade away. And you will normally start to fade away muscle first. So it goes back a little bit to what we we're saying about earlier about strength training, about doing too much cardio work and about being a smaller blob than the blob you might have been before. <laughs> do people enjoy me referring to people as blobs? Hopefully. Some people do actually look like blobs and they shouldn't look like blobs because we weren't born like a blob. So if you've become a blob, then you should unbecome a blob because it's probably not the right thing. I'll move on from blobs. Anyway, calorie counting, confusion. Actually, you've lost my thought process there completely. Calorie counting, confusion is rife. And it's mainly done by the fact that people and brands, and this is the interesting thing. People pick up something off the shelf and it says it only has 200 calories in it. And they go, this is great. Like, it might be big. It might look nice. It might be, I don't know, it could be chocolate, something like that that people really like. And it's only got 200 calories in it. And the fact that it's got only 200 calories or it's got low-cal written on it, people are like, oh, this is great. I can have it. And if I need 2,000 calories a day, I can have 10 of these and I'm going to get my 2,000 calories. They fail to turn that food or bar, whatever it is, over and actually have a look at what is inside it. 
My number one thing about calories is not all calories were created equal. Please check the quality of your calories. Healthy calories, guys, are not your enemy. In a lot of healthy food, in lean meat, there are actually quite a few calories. In something like sweet potato, there's calories. In nuts and seeds, there are lots of calories. These are not the things that are making you fat. These are fats, yes, but these are not the things that are making you fat. These are actually the things that are really helping you because these are fats are keeping you full. So let's not kill the good guys. Let's not take the healthy food, the stuff that's actually good, and go, oh my God, this healthy meal plan I'm on has way too many calories in it. I've had that from Smith Street before. Your meal plan has too many calories in it. Your healthy snacks have too many calories in them. Like, what are we coming to in the world? Healthy calories are not your enemy. It's not the fact that your shake has some nut butter in it. It's not the fact that your super healthy home-cooked style food has 600 calories and there is an option for 400 calories that's absolutely shit and processed that is your problem. It's the shit and processed that's your problem. It's not the healthy calories. If you want to lose weight, you do need to, in some way, shape or form, go and see James Smith for this. He loves it. Come into a calorie deficit. Most of you, that's not your problem. For most of you, you're actually not eating enough and you're not eating enough quality food. Things like MyFitnessPal, calorie tracking, calorie counting, calories on food, friends talking about calories that have no idea what they're talking about has really screwed us up. Interesting stat for you that I'm just about to make up, but it's through my own research or through my own experiences. I used to, about seven or eight years ago, I had all of the, uh, all of the clients that I coached on my fitness pal. It was super straightforward, and I think it was about 75, 80% accurate, which is quite good. Now, it's absolute garbage. None of the stats coming out of my fitness pal that I've seen recently, I actually got rid of my account about a year ago, but I still see some stuff from MyFitnessPal. Most of it is absolute trash. These things have really screwed us up. Also, if we go back to what I was saying earlier, the number of calories you burn in a class, if it has strength in it compared to if it has just conditioning in it, is going to change. But as I was saying, strength training actually helps us burn calories quite well. I understand that you're super confused about calories. I also understand that I might have confused you a little bit more. I will sum up my spiel on calories very simply. The healthy calories are not your enemies. Fat keeps you full. Don't kill the good guys. Don't stop eating healthy food that are heavy in calories. Go and stop all your junk. That's going to help you to lose weight, to feel better, and maybe get laid more. Anyway, did I say that? Not too sure. There we go. That's enough questions. I said 30 minutes. I've been over 40. Thank you for the questions. Hopefully my answers were useful. If not, don't listen to them. Don't take action. Go to Google. Confuse yourself even more. I'll see you next time.